I am Madison Timmons. I'm Chris Susie. And we're paranormal specialists who live in the most haunted city on earth, Savannah, Georgia. Every day is Halloween in our line of work, so join us as we spin true tales of haunts, murders, and disturbing Savannah history. I'm Madison. I'm Chris. And, and welcome, welcome to, to the most haunted city on earth. Hey there, ghost schools and everything in between. We at the Savannah Underground are extremely excited to say that we have officially launched our Patreon. The link is in our description, or you can search patreon.com slash Savannah Underground. So head over to our page and join us for bonus content, merch drops, live investigations of haunted locations, and just getting to know us, because we really want to get to know you. Enjoy the episode and stay spooky, y'all. So do you, um, I mentioned the, the badge with the blood on it. Do you know much about the um, killer from South Carolina? Todd Colhap? Yes. Yeah, he actually, well, I know the general things pertaining to the case. So he was caught in 2016. I, um, I, a lot of his early life, he is one of those cases that showed all of the signs you know like he from a early childhood age just had really maladaptive traits and issues um he was abusing other kids he was abusing and killing animals and he was sent to like his grandmothers and his grandfathers and then his lived with his mom and so he was all over the place but um he was finally caught in 2016 um but he murdered i mean it was a string of people from Arizona, basically, to South Carolina, and caught in 2016 because his victim actually got away. He was one that was would torture these people and keep them held captive for an extended amount of time. Um, so Kayla Brown was the last victim, and she's the one that was able to escape and come forward and led to his arrest. So um, a lot of people, because it's such a regional case, actually come in because he was uh, professionally a realtor, which technically he was not able to get his license. He just kind of slipped through the cracks, um, like a lot of criminals Absolutely. do, um, and they're missed. But anyways, he, he was very, I mean, he was intelligent, like, you know, moderately intelligent enough to get his realtor license and go through, and he would, he had all these properties, but he would have shipping containers or little dungeons, more oh, yeah. or less. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, so he was caught, and he is, um, he's been arrested, but he was the one that actually left Amazon reviews to essentially murder weapons and yeah. things that he used from that for torturing people. Like, he left a review for a folding shovel. It was like, great uh, shovel when you leave your real one at home and you have to bury a body. And it's like, and people thought he was joking. Was like, ha, ha, ha. It's oh, like, ha, ha, what a troll comment. But it's like, oh, no, like, this is real. And so all those reviews have been taken down. And yeah. all of that has been, you know, used as later evidence. But um, that's, I think that case is still pending and going to trial at some point um, in the very near future. But, yeah, wow. it's a whole federal case. And, yeah, um, but because it's a regional, again, people are kind of familiar with it because it also was very recent. And some mm. people even come in and they were like, yeah, I actually, my mom bought her house from him. Didn't, I mean, had his like refrigerator magnet just like hanging out at her house. Oh and because you don't, I mean, these people, that's the thing. It's like, they're not going to be serial killers 100% of the time overtly. A lot of people, if they're going to get away with anything for any extended time, are able to blend in and hide in plain sight. And 
you know, just be normal, right. quote unquote. Oh, yeah. Um, but that's so blatant to leave mm -hmm. Amazon reviews. But yep. there's a lot of serial killers, though, that do things like that, where it's almost like it's, it's thrilling for them to... Yes, it's testing the limits of what they can get away with. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. The Zodiac Killer letters. Oh, yeah. 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 JT and I were just watching the new um, Hillside Strangler documentary oh, yeah. on Peacock mm -hmm. last night, and they were talking about how... There were so many times where he could have been caught, yep. but LAPD didn't do anything. I, that happens so much. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, the Ramirez case, the Dahmer oh, case. Oh, gosh. Jeffrey yeah. Dahmer. I mean, he was pulled over after victim number one, who he picked up hitchhiking, killed him, didn't really expect to. It just got to that point, basically. And then he stuffed his body in a garbage bag and was going to drive it to the the junkyard or the dumpster the city dump um and he was pulled over because he was driving drunk and then the cop was like what are you doing and he was like i'm gonna go throw out some trash and he was like it's closed it's four in the morning just go home and that was it and then he went on to you know move up to milwaukee and kill a bunch of other people and did horrible things Wasn't and one of the victims one literally of, ran off yes one of the yes. police picked him Again. up and returned yes. him because to yeah it was a 14 year old and he had he was drugged and like and there was something not right sure. with him. Um, and he was like 14 years old, ran out of Dahmer's house naked. And Dahmer was like, oh, that's just my boyfriend. We're having a, we're having a bit of a, a fight. Um, yeah, that's all. And the police were like, okay, <laughs> here yeah. you go. And then that is actually the victim that um, he later abducted his brother, actually. Oh. Um, yeah. Crazy. So it, it's it, every every case, uh, not every single one, but there are so many cases where. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, they literally had like, w like you said with Richard Ramirez, they literally had the print of his like mm -hmm. super unique shoe. Like I think they said there was like only one set of these shoes that were sold in his area. Yeah. In, like, in the his size. West Coast. Yeah. yeah. It was the Avia shoe that was, there were like three in the country. Or exactly. It just wasn't a common thing. Yeah. And, and then they had that, but they were like, <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> well, cause they didn't, they would, the LAPD and the sheriff's department and right. like all these counties, they refuse to share information. And mm -hmm. that still happens today. Still I mean, it's, it's so, instead of all working together, like there's something going on here and it's all seemingly connected. They're like, this is our case. They're yeah. like, no, this is my case. And they fight and don't share evidence and don't share information. And meanwhile, people are being killed. Yes. Yes. So yeah. it's like, get, there's, there should be a level of priority, I think. Feel. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. while we're on the topic of serial killers, um, so Ryan, uh, if you've heard us mention Ryan multiple times, that's Chloe's husband. Yes. Um, but Ryan has collected such an extensive um, variety of artifacts from John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. How did he get so many of them, honestly? So, so to put it like... To full scope it, um, he grew up around Chicago and was fascinated with the case since he was a kid. Um, also having an interest with horror, the parallel with Pennywise, that oh, like yeah. blew his mind as an eight-year-old. So anyway, so that was just a case that was fascinating to him. And then growing up with that really close in his area to where he was living, he actually ended up living in the same neighborhood that Gacy used to live in um, called Norwood Park, which is in the suburbs of Chicago. And so anyways, it just, it really left an impact on him when he was hearing all these stories, like, you know, people that 
would go to the bar and have a drink every Wednesday with John, not even knowing. And it, it just, there were so many stories that he was just fascinated and wanted to know more because there were seemingly little bits of information that he would get just from talking to people. It's like, I didn't know that, didn't read it in that book, didn't watch, didn't hear about that on this documentary. This is interesting to hear personal stories. And so that really spiraled into reaching out to people that knew him, visited him back in the day. And with that information then kind of snowballed into, wow, there's actually a lot to this case that was more or less glossed over in the initial investigation. Again, with just being quick to close it, it was it left a lot of potential victims that were out there that were never, that he was never either, you know, tied to or possibly they were never found. There's just a lot of lingering things. Um, and that's why he was on death row for 15 years because, yeah. you know, all of these appeals were going through basically trying to point out like, hey, I don't think we have the full story here. Um, it was less like, it wasn't like he was going to be free or get off of death row. It was more so like, you oh. You can close these cases. Yeah. Yes, wow. there are. Like they, he even said, Gacy, when he was in prison and arrested to all of his lawyers, he was like, I'm surprised that the police didn't want to look at any of the other properties I built or renovated in Chicago, in yep. Illinois, or out of state because he traveled a ton for work. And he was a yep. prolific killer. Mm -hmm. Like, it's insane. It was only a matter of... Like eight years of time, but really, it really ramped up between 60, 76 and 78, I think. Yeah, 76 so, or 78 was yeah. the peak of was it. Was that peak of it? And 72 to 75, like there were two murders. 20 plus that we know of right. in two years? Yeah. That's an insane amount. I know. And, and he had so many, um, what, uh, allegations of sexual assault and coercion mm -hmm. and that were never explored, that never yes. made it anywhere. I, I know. He, he went to jail. Uh, in the 60s. Oh, yeah. He was over, in, he was over in, a, a rape charge or right. a sexual assault charge. Yeah. He's yeah. actually assaulted a 17-year-old, basically, um, through the JCs. And it was the, it was the son of his uh, campaign manager. Oh, wow. So anyways, and very, like, higher up politically within the area of Waterloo, Iowa, which is where he was at. But he was sentenced for 10 years, got out within 18 months because it was more of a men's reformatory. He was younger. He was, like, in his mid-20s. And it was a first charge. So they were like, well... Well, we see signs that you're going right. to not do terrible things well, in the future. Well, he was always really <laughs> he was good socially. Oh, yeah. He was, oh, yeah. Super and he were, yes. social. I, he, he made it pretty high in the JCs. Absolutely, and, yeah. You know, public uh, you know, appearances. And, yeah. Yeah, just a very personable person, apparently. Yes. So, anyways, we've been actually working on a documentary about the whole case for oh, the past, like, awesome. six years, no joke. Yeah. Um, just because we started digging up, like, we started talking to his ex, like, his old lawyers and, like, appellate people that worked the case that were, like, oh, no, like, there's definitely more to this. And there was actually, crazily enough, there was enough evidence to actually open the case to explore the fact that there were other people that knew what he was doing and helped in varying degrees sure. over yeah. the years. Um, for instance, six victims went missing during a 72-hour period of him not even being in Illinois. Um, that should have been enough to be like, okay, so Someone there's, there's yeah, some there's other influence, yeah. at least one. So anyways, that turned into just exploring that and actually, because we've, we've been trying to like bring final closure, basically, because we sure. actually think that we can, um, just because of all the all the documents that we've obtained, we have every single PDM record, oh which has God. never been looked at in addition to all the other things that we have. So we're actually compiling like collections and evidence more or less and things from all these different sources because this asshole spread out so much information because he was talking to so many people. So it's, it's actually, it's hard to actually find all this information, but we're, we're 
making progress, which is good. And now we can actually see, okay, so he was in this small town renovating a pharmacy for this amount of time. Were there any missing people? Because yeah. um, at the end of the day, too, Chicago does, they don't want to open this in any capacity. Not. Yeah. Because this is done. This is done to them. They were like, right. no, we got the main person. We feel good about this, even though it's like, there were a lot of victims also that have not come forward publicly, but they've come to us knowing what we do and what we're working on. Um, they don't want to be named. They don't want their. They don't want to be interviewed. They just want. They're like, I think that it's valuable for you to know that, that this happened. happened to me too, right. because I'm not the only one. Right. Um, they were because he actually he didn't kill 100% of the people that he picked up. It was a very sexually motivated crime, and depending on the level of threat the victims posed to him, either outing him or telling people or or, you know, changing the price if it was a sex work. It, it could be right. like the, like his own little rules, basically. Wow. And nobody, it, it's hard to follow. But there were a lot of surviving victims that were, you know, let go, that they didn't want to come forward. And he was banking on the stigma of sexual assault on, like, perpetrated to males from sure. males would not be reported because of the stigma and embarrassment. Absolutely. And he was unfortunately correct because that's still happening, you know. It's, yeah, and yeah. It's, it's a crazy case. So there's a lot of depth, and there's, that's kind of what, that's the collection more or less is the, <laughs> the like, byproduct of, like, this research and talking to people, honestly, yeah. um, including his younger sister, who we're good friends with at this point. She's one of the sweetest people ever, but been through absolute hell. Um, but, and there was this whole stigma with, her, like, you know, right after this, she was given death threats, and, like, yeah. her kids were threatened. It's like, we didn't know. Like, you know, like, what do you, yeah, expect? But, well, yeah. And I remember Ryan mentioning, too, that there's certain time periods where John Wayne Gacy weighed too much mm -hmm. to be able to oh, yeah, maneuver too. through the crawl space. Right. Um, because... That crawl space was only so big, but he got really wide I mean, at was, one point. Yes, no, he put on a lot of weight in the mid-70s during the peak of the crimes, but uh, that's also when he moved in several employees. And yeah. there were two guys that, I mean, they testified and they admitted that they dug all the holes under the house. They said that they didn't know what they were doing, but right. they also... Of, well, of course. They also know. lived with him. So, but no, that's, that, that's the thing. And there was even, um, there was one victim that came forward that testified who was a survivor. Um, he unfortunately passed away, I believe, in 2016, but he testified um, very briefly, but he mentioned, yes, I was taken um, hitchhiking, just talking to Gacy, and um, chloroformed, and then woke up in this house, was tortured for, like, doesn't know how long, the time kind of lost, he lost track of time, but he would be in and out of consciousness and wake up and see lights flickering on and off in other parts of the house, and people talking and having conversations in other rooms while he was being attacked by Gacy. And then he one time woke up to a different person standing in front of him while Gacy was still in the room. So it's like, that should have been a compelling, but that was not the focus of the trial. No, the trial not. was to be like, okay, Gacy was there. Perfect. Yeah. That's all we need. Sweep it under the yeah. rug. Get it, get it done. Yeah. Right. I mean, again, it, it was not about bringing justice or actually bringing conclusions right. to it. It was putting a murder away, which like, that's a big part of it. We want to do that, but we also... Like, everyone deserves to have closure. Because, um, like, there, again, there's just no, no doubt that there are other victims, so many other that, you And know. possible other perpetrators. Yes, Absolutely. exactly. Yeah, there's definitely, there's at least, at least two main ones, or three main ones, rather, that we've found, and then, a like, a handful of other people that maybe were just turning a blind eye, but, like, 
kind of looks like they were a little bit more Maybe. close with John. So yeah. it's it's tricky, but again, and it's it's I wish that people did this back then because right. all those people were alive yeah. back then, and a lot of them are dead now. Sure. So can't question dead people. It's effectively well. I mean, <laughs> in a theory, if you really theory. wanted to, but that's just a joke. I mean, obviously, yeah. um, it is true. It, it takes a lot of effort to try to uncover these yeah. types of cases, especially with somebody who was so meticulous, mm -hmm. like John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. He wasn't a disorganized serial killer, for sure. I mean, there are plenty of disorganized serial killers, but everything with him was so methodical yes. in just the way he ran his masked life and yeah. how he um, created this persona in the church. He created this persona over here and everything was calculated so that way nobody would question him. Yeah. And even his kills were so calculated in the way that you said, you mm -hmm. know, how, who he picked to kill, who he picked yeah. to release. Yeah. Um, when everything he was, was intentional. Exactly. You know, there was in, in way overthought. And I mean, that really also speaks to like the mental state of some of these people. Like a lot will you know, kind of, I'll, I'll notice some things and I'm like, ah, oh, that makes a lot of sense. But, you know, I didn't know this before, like reading his log book, he logged every single minute of every single day of his life yeah. in prison and before prison. Wow. It's like, I just for fun, just tried to do that. Cause I was like, I have a bad memory. I'm going to try to log every time I do something at work. I gave up after about an hour and 45 minutes because I was like, I, I hate this. That's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting because I was, yeah. But anyway, so, but he would write down like when he woke up, what he ate, who he mailed stuff to, if he showered, if he didn't shower, he would write down a time for some reason. I, it's just insane. But that's, that's yeah. that does speak to the obsessive, compulsive, and controlling aspect of these people. And there are also other serial killers that do that same thing where they log different things right. and that even like extends into potential hypo hypographia which is when right. you are you know a lot of um a lot of schizophrenic people deal with that where it's just like the compulsion to write mm -hmm. write and write and write and that is also sometimes a result of traumatic brain injury sure. so all of these things are they all come together little mm -hmm. pieces of the puzzle well and especially i believe he was an extremely narcissistic person too and i think he really enjoyed watch watching and detailing everything that he did he loved controlling yeah he, well he that's what he needed to feel right. you know yeah. a lot of these people are in the same kind of sure kind of boat yeah yeah but it's so like would you guys ever investigate the uh, the Gacy house? If you ever got the opportunity, would you ever well, so, like try to? So the house is actually destroyed. Oh. They they tore it down, oh, sure. like they yeah. gutted it yeah, and yeah. then destroyed it, and then there was an empty plot of land for a little bit, and a new house is built over it. So um, mm. there's a new house with a new number. It's technically on the same plot, but like, it's yeah. yeah. That was, that must have been a hard sell. I mean, I yeah, I would think so. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I, yeah, I wonder, well, I'm sure, just on the paranormal mm -hmm. side of things, I'm sure that that land has so much connected yeah. to it because it was the final burial ground for a lot of those mm -hmm. boys. Unceremonious burial Yeah, ground. exactly. Yeah. A lot of so unresolved. I wonder if those people who are living there now, mm -hmm. how much they might be dealing yeah. with and whatnot, because a lot of times we see spirits who come from traumatic events and a lot of times it is from dying from a really traumatic death or you know even murder a lot of times we still see them because sometimes it's hard for them to move on yeah. after something like that 
So I wonder, I would love to talk to the people who live there, you know, and see what they've experienced throughout their time, or even the people who built the new house mm -hmm. on top of it, if anything occurred, because there's got to be something going on in that house yeah. outside of it. Logically, you would think so, you for would sure, think just so. with the weight of that whole case. And Hey, y'all, if you love this podcast, you're going to love our other podcast called from one to wicked. That is a podcast where Madison and I rate malevolent hauntings from around the world on a scale from one to wicked. We upload episodes every Monday and Friday on about anywhere you find your podcast. So if you're looking for more spooky content, definitely go check that out. Stay spooky, y'all. The level of trauma. The um, I, I also find it interesting when people try to say serial killers are demonically possessed. <laughs> I, I think that's always a fun topic to go into mm -hmm. because a lot of times it's not the case. Um, it usually comes up with the Amityville horror case, oh, sure. you know? Sure, sure. You know, um, because he reported saying that there was a, some kind of like shadowy figure that was telling him to kill yeah. his family and the dog was trying to tell him to kill his family and the TV and all right. that stuff. Right. But a lot of people also lean to the schizophrenia side of things sure. yeah so i always think it's interesting to dive into those concepts also sure. well you got to figure that a lot of demonic stories of the you know in history were probably mental disorder yeah. oh absolutely stories, you know? and so the fact that they kind of go hand in hand in a lot of mm -hmm. instances is the idea of like casting out spirits from people who are you know having fits yeah and it's like well we now know that the brain is an amazingly complex engine that has lots of compartments mm -hmm. and can do amazing things can change people's you know uh, perception and identity and these are all real things and a hundred years ago that would have looked like a demonic possession you know certainly you know even as close as the mid 20th century uh, we did not understand those things and and we keep updating we keep updating what yes. we know about oh, yeah. disorders and types of disorders because we're still learning but that also doesn't exclude mm -hmm. a supernatural element, which is something that we may not understand still. Right. That we may still have an answer that is far more technical and far more biological, but the remnants of it are, are amazing. We, sure. People have stories. People talk about it all the time. They, they have these interesting encounters, and who knows what part of the brain is interacting mm -hmm. with what stimulus. Right, yeah. I mean, you see intuitive people all the time, so sometimes maybe those intuitive people have a mental disorder, yeah, you know? There you go. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, and they are just connecting dots that look a different way than uh, somebody that doesn't have, that's more like neurotypical. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, there's um, plenty of cases of exorcism where it was severe mental mm -hmm. illness. Um, the one woman from, I believe she was in Africa. Uh, Clara Germana oh. Soleil. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she had horrendous schizophrenia and various other mental illnesses, and they practically tortured mm. that girl because they were trying to do these exorcisms on her because she was able to speak languages that she wasn't familiar mm. with and um, things of that nature. She was very violent towards some nuns and sort of things like that, and so... Every time they did exorcisms on her, she would get just horrendously tore up, practically. And that was super common. Oh, yeah. um, and that's a big reason why when you are going to perform an exorcism, 
uh, usually they're not allowed to start doing the rituals of it until it is without a shadow of a doubt, not mental illness. They have to prove, mental. which I think is a good thing nowadays. Yes. Oh, you absolutely. Know? Oh, yeah. Well, and I think that you there are instances where just on the merit of the ritual, it, it does help people who have mental fixations that you have this ritual that is reinforcing a type of suppression. So they are actually engaging in a type of therapy rather than an exorcism. They're being given an option to hold an exterior force responsible for these sensations and address it that way. And so I think that there is probably some positive psychological elements to an exorcism ritual provided you are not, you know, torturing the person, provided you're, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're utilizing faith and faith-based constructs, it can help a person to have something that they can turn to when mm -hmm. they feel a certain way, when they have these certain sensations and feelings. Um, that is, I believe, why prayer oftentimes works for people of, um, who have both faith and, you know, any mental uh, aberrations they can turn to their faith and, 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 and it will help them at the very least mediate the sensations. So yeah. there is there's room for both at the table. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. not all exorcisms um, that you see like in movies and stuff, it's usually not, you know, <laughs> the sort of deal where they're thrashing and foaming at the mouth and, you know, like you've got three priests, you know, dousing you in yeah. holy water and searing the flesh with things like that you're not always chained down so it's you're not puking pea soup yes exactly <laughs> it's like it it definitely um it's exaggerated it's very exaggerated yeah well and in many cases exorcism it's very hyperacted the the person receiving the exorcism is actually likely to act out in a way that they think mm -hmm. is appropriate. So, you know, it, it, it feeds each other. Yeah. You know, it, they, they, they're like, oh, I'm supposed to thrash around. I'm supposed to kick and, right. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and I'm going to try yeah, to get yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. There <laughs> yeah. you go. So it, it's, it's... It's reactionary for sure. It's very reactionary. Absolutely. But the... Um, so out of every artifact in the museum, what is your favorite artifact? Oh, that's so hard to answer because I, I, I have such a love for all of these topics so so deeply and there's such a cool history with so many of them um oh man yeah it's really uh, mm. we do have one of okay i'll narrow it down to like one of my favorite standout exhibits um on the true crime side of things is actually all of the stuff pertaining to the ed gein case oh, just because yeah. we didn't even know it existed because all of the gein was technically he was not a serial killer by you know today's standards or the standards back then he did kill two women but he robbed graves and made things out I of people um there is a lot of misconceptions and a lot steeped in folklore like he didn't actually make a nipple belt or a lampshade but he did make skullcap bowls and a waste basket made out of flesh and kept women that he thought looked like or reminded him of his mom so anyways there's a lot to get into there and we've actually all of the stuff that is that comprises of the Gein case um, comes from the lead polygraph expert for the Wisconsin Crime Lab, who did every single interview with him. And so that is some really like invaluable information-wise um, stuff. And we've been going through it and we're able to actually, we're archiving and working on like preserving it because it's the only stuff left. Because he was actually acquitted of most of the charges, all but one murder. Um, 
which is insane. So that was just a quick way of getting done with the case so that nobody had to talk about it ever again. And the legal way of disposing of all of this crazy, right. crazy evidence that they were like, this is traumatic. Let's not, let's destroy it. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. Same, yeah, same town that burned his house down uh, right before the auction that would have paid restitution and like for a trial. So they were, they, that shows where they're kind of, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's that, that, it is Midwestern corridor mm-hmm. of Wisconsin, Chicago, oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Illinois. <laughs> there's there's quite a few um, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, serial <laughs> killers. And, uh, yeah. I blame the winters. I yeah. And so, fair enough. Yeah, I'm from but, the East Coast of Canada, so yeah, that's there you go. <laughs> yeah, you either hibernate or apparently go crazy. Um, apparently, <laughs> but no, it's that's like one of my favorite exhibits, just because that's stuff that again so should have technically right. been destroyed because it was never public record used in trial. A lot of it didn't make it to trial because of the acquittals. So um, so that's like. One of, that's one of the things that is in there that I can't believe that we have. Um, and then, of course, the depth of the Gacy case, that whole thing is fascinating. And I really actually, through Ryan's collecting, um, developed a really, really soft spot for all the sideshow history. Because I oh, just sure. didn't know that much about it before. Oh, yeah. um, it was always interesting, but seeing like the lives of some of these people, and there's definitely two sides to the sideshow, too, where it's like a lot of the early first iteration of the sideshow in the Victorian era, it was a lot of exploitation and a lot of people that were forced into this because people had no clue what they were doing at all. They didn't, they were like a person, a woman with a beard. Oh my gosh, this is crazy. You know? And then with the downfall of the sideshow before the great depression, there was kind of a stagnant moment. And then with the resurgence, with the the Ripley's auditorium and the Chicago world's fair, there was a more, like there was an importance placed on the performers and the and unique talents of them. Um, like Frida Pushnik was a little girl with a no. She was born with no limbs because right. her mom had a botched appendectomy when she was pregnant. Um, but her mom was she encouraged her to like do every like just figure out how to do things that you know however you do them. And so she lived very normally um, and was one of the first demonstrations of, you know, her lectures would be, hi, I'm Frida, I'm nine, and I won a certificate in penmanship, and this is how I write. Um, and then people were like, oh, I, you know, you're, you actually are totally capable of all of these things. And it really made disabilities visible, I think, in a capacity and paved the way for more positive things later in life Absolutely. and it was also a community for a lot of these people who were right. persecuted to actually feel safe um and so that was just a total part of the sideshow that i just didn't really explore but it's it's super powerful and like really em- empowering and interesting for sure oh. yeah so i i love that stuff <laughs> absolutely well sideshow and circus has always been kind of like it started it felt like it started out as a place where they just send people who didn't belong so like i think we've mentioned how there was one woman who um was kidnapped by a native american tribe or whatever and she ended up getting raised with them and um, they did the traditional tattooing Mm -hmm. of her face but she after she left the tribe she had to go to the sideshow because she didn't belong in modern society kind of exactly yeah and i mean there were even laws um like they were nicknamed ugly laws that were enacted oh from 1867 until 1974 in the US 1974 oh but it just it prohibited the like if you were disfigured maimed or deformed or uh, it was the unsightly beggar ordinance is the correct term gotcha. for it um but like you know San Francisco's was if you were maimed disfigured dis- deformed you can't sh- you can't go out you in can't public go outside, yeah. you can't go out in public That's very true. the exception to that it, so it was literally it was two 
options, basically hiding or sideshow. Right. And, you know, and that was a lot of people's only way to actually have a life and go out in public and make money for themselves. Yeah, um, and yeah then, that's a, a, a forgotten element because absolutely. people are very quick to be, well, it's very exploitive. It, yes. And it was. Yeah. Don't, don't get that wrong. But it was also opportunity yes. that would not exist in any yeah. other realm because society was a monster. You know? Yeah, It for absolutely sure. shunned them. It absolutely yes. kept them behind closed doors. Yeah, it was, would not let them go to school. Mm-hmm. Would not let them get jobs. And, and now... Yeah. You know, and now there are laws protecting people laws that, protecting yeah. you know, have disability and are, yeah. you know, but it's, um, it's definitely, haul, 1970s, good Lord. I yeah, know, seriously. yeah, they became unconstitutional by that point. It's like, yeah. that seems a little late guys, right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, to be enacted in the first place is insane to me, right. but, but Absolutely. yeah, you would think that that would be like gone by 1906, you know, but no, <laughs> it might've just been one of those forgotten laws. I know, think just probably a law that nobody really thinks to, right. you know, sure. Like actually. Yeah. pursue finding people yeah i don't i don't think it was but the fact that it was on the on the books until that point is insane that it really um, is. but yeah it definitely is a whole thing that perf- that started out of like uh, a fascination and exploitative kind of thing and then shifted into like basically these totally normal people that could just shove like pins through their face or had an extra leg yeah. were like then exploiting you because you had to pay to look at them. Right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you yeah. know? It's, it's, and, there's an empowering moment yeah. when, when, when they're like, this And is, they're like yeah. the best, and some of them were like the best educated, like right. most well-traveled and like, ha- like, you know, they even say they don't reflect on their sideshow days negatively. Like they had a, they loved what they did and they couldn't, have imagined any other life because you know it just was what they like doing and there was definitely like definitely two two and two sides of the coin you know with everything well in human nature it's always we always have sought after the odd or the unusual mm-hmm. or the morbid even back in like the 16 1700s the morgues used to put bodies in the windows for <laughs> people to come see it was technically meant for you know um identifying bodies and things like that especially over in england yeah but people would gather because they wanted to see a dead body Mm -hmm. which is so sick yeah but you know because it's funny there was like so many books at that time like in the victorian era and the colonial periods and all that that were banned because oh this this is literary uh literary material that shouldn't be consumed, but you can see a dead body in a window and we'll dress it up for you and things like that, (laughs) which is absolutely, which I think is so interesting about humans. And we still are kind of like that to this day. Oh gosh, yeah. But uh, we just adapted it. Instead, we look at it on the internet or we, you know. We make our horror movies. Exactly. We watch documentaries. Or we we watch our true crimes. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. and I feel like even with true crime too, we've it's especially in that because people want the even more gory details. There was a whole film series on actual deaths. I think you oh, guys have faces ha- of death. Oh, faces yeah, of yeah. death. I think you guys have it in your your we museum. Ha- yeah. So we right? did a we did an actual horror VHS exhibit for yeah. a couple Halloweens ago, and we resurrected basically like just talking about old VHS culture and like rental stuff it it sounds lame but it was actually really cool it was really cool it really fell flat with a lot of people I would have like some 15 year olds that came up to me they're like hey what's the point of this and I'm like well you had to kind of you You had to be there read the mission statement (laughs) here (laughs) read this this does lay it out but I I understand where you're coming from (laughs) one of the most peculiar things and something that is 
probably lost on the younger generation is yeah. There was a time when you had to seek this stuff out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You had to work to get to yeah. it. You know? It wasn't like... It was not at your fingertips. You could not just look it up. Yeah. You know, if you wanted to learn something, you had to go get a book. <laughs> you oftentimes had to <laughs> leave your house and go <laughs> yes. somewhere else yeah. and get the knowledge. And then you didn't even get to keep the knowledge, keep you the know. book. You borrowed it and gave it back. Or if you, if you did buy a book, you know, it was in your bookshelf. Yeah. And you'd have to, like, scroll through, like, old style. And, uh, yeah, and, and I think the VHS movement was such a fascinating time mm-hmm. because the only hope you had of choosing your entertainment was the cover yeah. of a small box. <laughs> and some of those VHS boxes, they would, like, put little lights in them and, 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 and reliefs in them. And what I learned is the more interesting the VHS box, the worse the movie inside it was. <laughs> like, if, if it made a noise... That movie was yeah. terrible, yeah. but you'd love it. You're going to love it. Yeah, yeah, because it's lighting up and right. making noise. Yeah. Well, and the movie, you watch it and you're like, wow, these people are just having a great time. Yes. Yeah. And they don't care what the product oh, no, is. It's they, a, they're just having a great time. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's totally just an era of just discovery based on like uh, that one. I don't yeah. know. Don't know what it yeah. is. You can't look it up on right. your phone. Yeah, see yeah. Who directed no, it? No, you have to like read you, it. And you then, could carry the Leonard Malton like yeah. review book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This has no. one star. <laughs> or trust the opinion of the employee who's trying to rent it to you. Never talk to the employees yeah. at a video store in the 80s. <laughs> they were always, and no offense to anybody who worked in a video store in the 80s, but where I was living, they were scary. They were <laughs> the, person, <laughs> the person behind the counter scared us. You know, and they so, were always kind of intimidating. Yeah, there, yeah. there's an intimidation yeah. factor. It wasn't like they were like, you know, monsters or anything. It was no. just like, oh, can like, I get oh. this? Yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Rewind it. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. anyway. So yeah, totally an exhibit that fell flat, but a very interesting one. And in that, we did talk about the faces of death, and they like that was the like the dark web version of VHS, basically. Yeah. And it started as it was supposed to be like a mockumentary, basically, mm-hmm. where there was a bunch of fake stuff mixed in with a few real things, mm-hmm. and then that turned into people's like desire for Die seeing all of this fandoms, brutal stuff. Oh and yeah. A whole series of, of yes, yeah, there were like four. I think six? there were like six oh, or seven. Oh like, yeah, there's there were so ton. many. Yeah, no, there were a lot, and then there were other ones. Like there was, um, there were there were series that followed that in their footsteps for sure. And there was a whole exploitation, shock, sure. gore, and Face of Death had of an interesting approach because it was literally like face death, like. Mm-hmm. people's perception of death and, and the, the reality, the, yeah. the idea behind it and, and how we treat it and how we, you know, both glamorize and avoid it. So there was, there, there was at the very base of the, at least the first one, yeah. a thread of philosophy sure. to it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then it, 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 and devolved then it devolved into how <laughs> realistically bad can this be? Yeah. And and what footage is real and what footage isn't. Exactly. You know? yeah. And how, uh, like, brutal we can get with it which i mean nowadays it's called torture porn pretty much um like with horror genre but i feel like it's gone we've we've gotten our standards a little bit better (laughs) nowadays with our horror where we're not trying to see actual people dying right we just like to watch our yeah, we, we watch our hostels and our, oh, our things like, oh, you don't like hostels? Oh, blah, blah, blah. I'm, <laughs> I'm a huge horror fan, like one of the like, tried and true horror fans. I'm not a gore fan. Mm-hmm. And more, more than that, I don't like watching people suffer, I guess would be the ultimate sure. thing. 
I do not like any movie where there's an extended period of suffering. Yeah. Uh, you know, you kill somebody, fine. You blow them up, okay. You know, <laughs> tear their face off, whatever. Yeah. But if the person's begging, pleading, crying, if there's that element has always, always, ever since um, American Werewolf in London. Oh. <laughs> I was 10 years old in a movie theater watching American Werewolf in London because the ads for American Werewolf in London made it look like a comedy. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, was, it was John Landis. It was like, oh, he's, he's a funny guy, he's funny, funny. Fun. We went to the movie, and I'm with my parents, and the werewolf attacks, Griffin Dunn, the actor, gets attacked by a werewolf, and my mom covers my eyes. Mm. So all I can hear is a man screaming. Oh, God. And screaming for his life. And at 10 years old, this is how weird media is. At the age of 10, I had never heard a man scream. I'd never heard, I've heard women scream that's, that's what women did in movies. To hear a man scream for the first time really mm. stuck with me because I couldn't imagine what was happening. Uh, and so in my imagination, then, it was the worst thing ever. You know, yeah. <laughs> whatever was yeah, happening was the worst was, thing ever. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, it was worse. <laughs> like, years <laughs> so later, I watched the movie, and he's screaming, but we're watching the guy running away. I thought we were, you know, seeing the guy getting ripped like, apart. Yeah. You know, but we're watching the guy run away. Yeah. And uh, But, yeah, it, it's <laughs> indelible in my mind as something that uh, I don't, I don't enjoy the concept of, of, of torture so- suffering. And so Hostel was a weird one because they had scenes where it was like, this is a very prolonged amount of, of pain for a person to go through. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I don't appreciate it. Never watch, a well-made movie, though. Never <laughs> watch a Serbian film, then. I did. Oh, no. Did and you watch the, um, the uncut yes. one? Oh. <laughs> oh, mm. God. Yes. I see. I... I say I don't like these things, but that doesn't keep me from watching them. And do not watch the Serbian movie. Do, don't do I, it. Never in a million years. I literally watched it as, as a, again, it was a philosophical discussion with somebody who really uh, pushed the notion that watching these movies is a way of um, kind of having an experiential catharsis. You know, you're, you're seeing something so extreme and so beyond your, your, your everyday existence that you you actually elevate yourself out of you know the humdrum of life um and then i watched and i was like no that was wrong yeah <laughs> that's the most horrific <laughs> film on the plate on that, the that, face that, of the that, earth that, that will that will damage you and change you and you'll never be the same yeah very true well on that note <laughs> um <laughs> we're gonna go ahead and wrap things up um so we actually at the end of this month are going to be investigating the Greyface museum so uh, make sure that you're following for that because it's going to be a really cool experience um we're going to be kicking off Greyface's paranormal ventures into the yeah. investigative world so do you want to plug that yeah yeah we've been it's been kind of in the works for a while um but we've wanted to kind of get into some of the um, some of the more you know haunted aspects of specifically Factors Walk actually and some of the things surrounding that area but mostly just like a quick talk there and then leading you into the museum where you'll give a we'll give a little tour around the museum and then you'll just kind of be able to explore around at your own pace and get you know some equipment to see if there's any anything that you pick up on and whatnot um, but yeah we've been trying to put that together for a little while so it's finally moving forward and whatnot and we hope to have that up and running sometime before sometime before October so yeah right before spooky season yeah 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 awesome yeah so we're super excited to do that we um 
I, I love that building. I love the museum. So very excited to investigate some of those objects. Maybe we'll have the doll there. Yeah. And we'll <laughs> see what's going on with that. But, yes. um, but otherwise, please do follow us on TikTok and Instagram if you don't already. We are the Savannah Underground on TikTok and just Savannah Underground on Instagram. Also, if you want to see more exclusive content, uh, more investigations, merch, and things like that, please consider becoming a patron um, on our Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash Savannah Underground. Uh, but Chris, do you have a ghost tip for us? Yeah, don't watch the Serbian film. <laughs> don't do it. I completely agree with that. Uh, but we will see you in another... Wait, wait, wait. Do, you have a, do you have a Patreon? Oh, we actually... We do, yeah. Yeah, yeah go plug it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, we have a Patreon as well. It's um, If you just look up Grayface on Patreon, we'll pop up. We're the only Grayface on there. Um, but, yeah, we upload, actually... Um, we have a shirt club because we do all, like, screen printing, so we have that. But, you know, benefits include... Ryan unboxing stuff like pertaining to museum things. Um, he mentioned he talks about some of the releases on TerraVision and stuff that he's working on and the like record label kind of side of things. Um, and just updates on like when we open when we opened the store in Chicago, we did like a whole walkthrough of that and yeah, it just kind of keeps you up to date on everything really. Absolutely. Um, but we have tiers as low as like a dollar. So yeah, it's just, you know, yeah. just more of just where to see all the stuff that we don't put on social media. Yeah. And their yeah. shirts are the best. <laughs> Y'all have seen me wear a couple of them Thanks. on this podcast. Um, so, yeah. Oh, like the one wide. JT's wearing. Yeah. This was from... Like every week. Yeah. I've Hello. seen you <laughs> Yeah, from their um, Horror Miss event a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, definitely become a patron of Grayface. Become a patron of us if you are enjoying that kind of content. So, uh, with that being said, my name is Madison Timmons. I'm Chris Susie. And stay suki, y'all. <laughs>